Hello, you beautiful people. It's showtime, the start of a brand new theatre-filled podcast, where we discuss all things theatre with a variety of guests and topics of discussions. So it's time to grab a brew, get settled down, and let's begin. It's showtime. My name is Chris Hanlon and welcome to It's Showtime, a brand spanking new theatre podcast which looks to delve deep into the theatrical network as we discuss the ins and outs of theatre with performers, technicians, directors and creators from the world of professional and amateur theatre. I'm delighted to welcome our very first guest to It's Showtime. Our guest has a theatrical history that spans 40 plus years. He performed at the reopening of the Lyceum Theatre Sheffield in 1990, the opening ceremony of the student games at the now demolished Don Valley Stadium, and has played many lead parts throughout the years. Our guest is a director and producer and runs his own company along with his partner Linda, which specialises in theatrical props, original pantomime scripts and the hiring of audiovisual equipment. As well as that, he's also a full-time TA at a school in Sheffield. Please welcome Mr. Richard Bradford. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Christopher. What an entrance. So how are you? I'm very good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you doing with the lockdown and everything? Um, yeah, we, I think, like most people that are creative and do theatre, we're struggling a little bit because, uh, you know, we're, we're missing doing what we love. But, you know, we're getting on with lots of things and... It's giving us an opportunity to do things around the house that we wouldn't ordinarily have a chance to do. Absolutely. So, for our listeners, tell me a bit about yourself. Okay, uh, I'm a very well-worn uh, 52-year-old uh, male, um, Caucasian, from, uh, <laughs> from Sunny Sheffield. Uh, I was born and bred in Sheffield. Uh, I'll probably die in Sheffield, like I'm probably dying right now. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I've been on stage with numerous theatre companies throughout my years, but predominantly it's been with a company called Manor Pratic Society, uh, which I now uh, run alongside my partner in crime and partner in real life, Linda, uh, which uh, we've been a part of that for about 30, well, I've been 33, 34 years. Linda's been a few more years than I. So um, just to quickly, so I asked you to fill out a um, pre-recording questionnaire. So it says your happy place is at your static caravan at the sea. So how long have we had your static caravan? Well, we've had a static caravan for about uh, five years. I you don't usually call it a static caravan. I usually call it my three-bedroom detached second home in a gated community 100 yards from the sea. Having but it pushed, it is a static caravan, Chris, yeah. <laughs> Having had the pleasure to stay there a couple of times, I can say it's very, very, very nice and relaxing. And it's just by the sea, isn't it? So you haven't got far to walk at all. Absolutely not. It's about 100 yards from the beach, which is lovely. OK, let's get on to the reason why we're here. So let's discuss a bit about theatre. So as you alluded to in, um, in your little intro there, you are a director-producer for Manoropratic Society in Sheffield. So Manor Pratic perform at the Sheffield City Hall and have been doing since the 1980s. Yeah, oh, is it 80, 80, 80, 80, 87, I think. Is it? Was it really? I don't know. I don't I think know. So. Anyway, uh, before that, they performed at the Montgomery Theatre. Yeah. Um, and um, 
outsold the Montgomery. They were doing three, four week runs and it got to the point where they needed to expand. So the City Hall came calling. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they, they got to a point at the Montgomery. I wasn't a part of it at the Montgomery. That's uh, way before my time. But they were doing it for four or five weeks, apparently, at the Monte, and it was just getting too much. So the natural progression was to move to City Hall. And it got so that we were doing three weeks at the City Hall and three shows on a Saturday, three shows on a Sunday. It was getting at points that we were doing sort of 23, 24 shows in a run which was pretty demanding and working yeah. as well. So you said you've been directing, producing for about 12, 13 years now. How long before that were you performing? I, oh gosh, well, I started in a dance school years and years and years ago. Um, but then I took my first um, sort of uh, speaking role when I was seven. I'm 52 now, so, so uh, quite a long time ago. So quite a, uh, quite a long time, yeah. Yeah, and then I've just kept with the theatre and my parents did it my sisters did it my brother did it we've all done it obviously Linda now my partner she's done it since I've been a little girl so it's just been something that I've done all my life so it's ingrained in you absolutely and yeah. um, Richard I hope you don't mind me saying but you've got two daughters one is doing very well for herself in her own sort of line of work but your younger daughter is also a performer she is, uh, yeah. Um, Emily, my oldest, that's uh, doing it, pursuing a different career. She was really talented at dancing, but it, it wasn't something she really wanted to pursue, uh, you know, and do uh, on a social level or a professional level. So she packed it in at a very young age, and which we were a little bit disappointed about because she had a natural flair for it. But, you know, you let, let your kids do uh, as they feel fit. My other one, she's sort of uh, was born into it and has flourished and been in shows with us and took the part of um, Jemima in uh, Chitch Chitch Bang Bang, which we were very proud of. A very, very proud moment for you. So um, as a fellow member of Manocratic, um, I remember the days of Evie being sat under the table in Annie rehearsals. That was 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. So right from an early age, she sort of, she was surrounded by that, that sort of performance environment. Yeah, um, and she used to stand at the front, and she used to know all the moves better than everybody else. Absolutely. She always knew she was sort of going to go on stage, um, and she's an incredible dancer and is getting better. You must be incredibly proud of both your children. Yeah, very, very proud of them both. So it's time to play our first game of the day. So this game is called Name That Show. Name that show. <laughs> So just to tell you how this is going to work, um, I will give you 60 seconds to name as many shows as you can. However, there is a different sort of element to this. So we're going to name shows based on the letters of your name. So we will start with the letter R and we will end in the letter D. OK, right. but that's your whole name. OK, here we go. So R. Rent. Rent. I. Um, I, uh, Irene, C, cats, H, uh, hairspray, A, A, Avenue Q, R, rags, D, 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 pass. B. Brigadoon. R. Rosemary. A. 
Annie. D. D. Yeah, D is just like room. F. Um, Fiddler on the roof. O. Oliver. R. Rocky Holler Show. And D. Ah, D is a bugger for me. <laughs> okay, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten points. Ten points, Richard. Thanks, you, are rubbish. Top, you are the top of the leaderboard. Oh, da-da! <laughs> you know, can you name any D shows? Tell me, D. And the only one I could think about that was going around in my head was Dagenham, but it's made in Dagenham. Yeah. Gee, there must be so many. Dracula, Dracula the music. Dracula, blinking heck. Dracula, Doctor Doolittle, Dear Evan Hansen. I can think of the brothers now. <laughs> Let's have a reading. <laughs> D, Doctor Doolittle. D, Doctor Dear Evan Hansen. Ah. In that show. <laughs> Okay, let's move on from that segment. So, this is your favourite show and why. So, we're going to have a little discussion about theatre, why it's so special to you, and I want you to talk about your favourite show. So, Richard, why is theatre so special to you? Theatre is so special to me because um, it's a pastime like no other, really, because you can take an audience and a cast and you all go on a journey together and you can pick so many emotions within that and you can take people out of sometimes some very difficult situations and put them into a place of tranquility where they feel comfortable for a couple of hours and you're sort of leaving little footprints on on, on many little people's hearts that they think you know oh there that was really good and hopefully it will give them the encouragement to either want to come back for more or or even better still join a company themselves so just We've touched on it a few times, your role as director-producer at Manoratic Society in Sheffield. So how does, how does that come about? So how do you become a director-producer and what does the job entail? For, for, for me, the job came about purely by chance. Um, I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I wasn't looking for it. It's always been, it was always an ambition in mind to, be, to direct and produce a show, but... Uh, we'd had a long-standing director at uh, Manor, which is one of the, you know, my idols in theatre, Brian Flats, who sadly is no longer with us. And he, he produced and directed the company for years. And he sadly uh, had a stroke and couldn't do any more. And there was an interim period where his, his daughter-in-law took over. And then with a little bit of notice, it fell upon, and, and, and a few changes in circumstances, it fell upon, they asked me if I'd just take over and on, and onto a show. And, Having no directing experience, no production experience, and with a few months to do a pantomime, we just went, yep. And we just sort of like fell into it, really. Uh, so that's how we came to do it. Um, luckily, I've got a very creative and, and very supportive partner, uh, Linda, who I, I just couldn't do it without. She's she's the organised one in terms of like the, the, what she's doing with the company. She's a great choreographer and director in her own right, obviously. Uh, but I'm this, I would say I'm more the creative sort of thinking what's going to happen, how a show's going to come to, to look and what I think is important, where, what I need to get, what I need to book, how I need to get it, particularly with pantomimes where it's sort of a blank canvas and, you know, we are renowned for our pantomimes. They are so big, they are so spectacular. Um, and we do have to keep pushing the bar. 
but we've tried to transmit that through to our shows and lift, you know, the creativity level uh, because amateurs around the country, not just Sheffield, uh, of which we are, we've got a rich, um, you know, uh, scene of, of theatrical companies, but we, we try to lift the bar in terms of the technical aspect of things. And I think that's one of my main strengths. When, when you're choosing a show, um, sort of what aspects do you look at? It's not just for anybody that, that doesn't know how, how it works. It's not just a case of going, right, we want to do that show. We'll, we'll take that. How, what's the sort of process? Where do you start? Well, you see, for, for, some, for some companies, that is the process because they don't, it, the, the, the society ethos, unfortunately, in many ways is, is gone. Uh, and they tend to just pick a show and then they will encourage people to come and audition for, to be in the company for that show. At Manor, uh, you know, it's different because we do pantomimes and we've got a company, we've got a society, and that society has an average of about 50 playing members. And then we've got obviously non-playing members, people who work behind the scenes in various departments. But when I'm picking a show, it has to, I have to try and, well, I, don't, I, I consider greatly the people within our society and how we can accommodate those people um, within the show. Um, yeah, so that is the primary, you know, concern yeah. when I'm looking at shows. Can we do it? Can we do it as a society? But can we do it well as a society? Okay. Um, so just to sort of expand on that, um, for listeners or potential listeners that don't know, um, Sheffield City Hall is a 2,000-plus seater venue. It's, it's a very large one, and um, Manor Operatic... Uh, society produced what is largely considered as the largest amateur pantomime within the country. Um, when you hear people say that, how does it make you feel? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, you're bursting with pride. I mean, manner is something that's, it's not just something I do, it's something I live. Um, as with other people within the society, it's not just me. We've got some fantastic me members that absolutely live and breathe the society and the success of the society is something that we all share, not just myself and Linda, it's something that we all share as a group. So yeah, it's a, it's a, with enormous pride, but uh, and it's something that's been built, you know, on a lot of hard work over a lot of years and not just by myself. Obviously I mentioned Brian before, we sadly this, this, this year, or sorry, last year lost, our chairman, Richard, who was an absolute stalwart within the theatrical community, but within Manor itself, uh, Mabel, uh, uh, Irwin, all the people involved in Manor over the years have helped to make it what it is. And it keeps going from strength to strength. It really yeah. does. Yeah, it keeps going from strength to strength. Like, like you said, though, it's, it's important that you've got a, a strong core of people around you that are willing to help sort of push the society forward so we've talked about pride um would you say as a director or as a performer which one do you feel more proud wow i've always had a massive love for the theater and what it stands for and what it does um i've been lucky to do some wonderful things that you've said at the beginning you know play some great parts had some wonderful opportunities but i suppose for me personally, as a director, you and a producer, you, you or I now live every single part, including all the choral or company parts on that stage, 
so it's in effect like you're living and, and, and performing every part within the show. And it's, I suppose, from a pride point of view, I'm probably proud of the achievements of you guys um, or us as a collective, because it's more about the collective than it is about, you know, as a performer, it's yeah. pretty much like yourself, isn't it? There'd be absolutely no shame in saying you are a, an emotive person. You, yeah. um, you're affectionate. Um, and passionate. Passionate is the um, is probably the operative word there. Um, so, as a performer, um, having witnessed it firsthand, you are very often seen at the back of the city hall, crying your eyes out, watching. And it's because, as you say, you live and breathe the the, the performance, and it's why it makes you such a such a strong director. Um, producer because you've got you've got that experience as a performer um which you also you you've learned from but you also you want to carry forward and sort of create a new legacy and sort of push theater and push the boundaries a bit further just wanted to touch touch briefly on um amateur theater as a whole so within the professional world sadly amateur theater carries a bit of a stigma it's still carried forward today what would you say to people that say, well, amateur theatre is is bog standard church hall sort of stuff? Because I strongly feel that it's not. Um, I would answer that on various levels. I would still celebrate the fact that it is church hall level. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't pigeonhole in any way amateur theatre as being church hall productions. What people have got to understand is that Theatre is a very immersive uh, and inclusive pastime for people. And not everybody can go out and be a professional. Some are on the fringe of it. Mm -hmm. uh, some professionals just don't get that break and they have to give up because of financial reasons. And then they have to come back because they've still got a love and a passion for it. And then they do shows like ours. But your grassroots church or pantomimes is where stars are born. That's the core of where it starts and I would always say I always go and try and see as many things like that as I possibly can as much to support them but get ideas because you'll find that even in small productions they have to be very because they've got not got the budget and stuff they have to be so creative yeah. and do things that you can take those ideas and elevate them to a point that we can use on our stage so I would say to anybody that's even considering going and seeing a show, I've seen many shows, many, many, many professional and amateur of all different levels. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some fantastic and been a part of some absolutely jaw-dropping shows that are deemed as amateur, but are knockout and will rival any professional production. Brilliant. Well answered. Okay, it's time to move on. It's the quick fire quiz round. Okay, Richard, this is how it's going to work. There are 30 questions to answer in total. You have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. So are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Which long running West End musical was written by South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone? Book of Mormon. Yeah. Jean Valjean, Fantine and Javert are characters from which musical? Le Miserable. In which musical does overweight teenager Tracy Turnblad break the mould when she auditions to dance? Hairspray. 
Hairspray, which is the longest running musical on Broadway? Phantom. Correct. Which musical tells the story of one of America's founding fathers? Uh, Hamilton. Yep. What is the name of the musical based on Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Bamalow. What is the longest running musical on the West End? Phantom again. It's lame is. What musical features the song Memory? Cats. How many Oscars has Andrew Lloyd Webber won? Oh gosh, he should have won millions. Um, three. Seven. One. One. In Mamma Mia, how many dads does lead characters? Three. Yeah, and can you name Bill, them? Ted. Bill, Sam and Harry. Yeah, that's it. That's why we're going to say you didn't give me a chance to finish. For which animated musical film did Sir Elton John win an Academy Award for Best Lightning Original King. Song? Say again? Lightning. Yeah. What musical is based on the book by Gregory Maguire? Don't know. Wicked. What classical musical features a girl named Kim who falls in love with a soldier? Oh, it's Miss Agon. I had a mental problem. What year did the Phantom of the Opera first entertain musical fans? Oh my good Chris. 1989. It was 1986. Which character was played by Renny Zellweger in the film adaptation of Chicago? But Roxy Hart. And your time's up. How many questions do you think you got right? How many questions did I do, Chris? Uh, you answered 16 questions. 14? You got 11. Really? Yeah. So the ones you got wrong were um, longest running musical in the West End. Yeah. Uh, how many Oscars Andrew yeah. Lloyd had? Um, how many dads there was and can you name them? So you got the amount of dads right, but you got the names wrong. So you only got one point for that. Um, the musical based on the Gregory Maguire book, what do you think it was? You told me it was wicked. Yeah, that's it. And what you did, Phantom of the Opera Open, that was 1986. It was. That would have been the second answer. It's the Quick Fire Quiz Round! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Right, okay. So, we're just going to go back to your um, pre-podcast questionnaire. So, what are the questions on there? was if in 150 years science fails to save us and all that is left is a book about your life, what would the title be and what would be the blurb that tells us about the book? So you put Steel City Entertainer. Yeah. yeah do you want to just expand on that a little bit? Well, I had to do it. I thought of that title in a second because I'm very proud of Sheffield and Obviously, it's the city of my birth. It's the city that I love. It's the city where I live. Uh, so, hence, Steel City and the entertainer. Because I'm not, I'm not painting myself as the best entertainer, but I've always liked the fact that I entertain people. You know, in whatever capacity, whether it be behind the scenes or on stage. So, yeah. Um, and then the blurb: the man who loves all aspects of theatre who through his productions wanted to leave a little tiny footprints and memories on millions of people's hearts. I think if there's one thing that you've done, it is that through your time as, as performer and director, along with your wonderful partner and my good friend, Linda, you leave 
lots of tiny little footprints. The magic of pantomime cannot ever be replaced for me. I think the buzz of being on that stage and seeing them kids dancing up and down the aisles and when they come on the bucket game and their faces just light up. I think it's incredible. So I really like your answer to that. So I wanted to, to, to draw on that. So one of the other questions was, what's a crazy but true fact about you? <laughs> and obviously you couldn't think at the time because you thought, <laughs> my real name is Shirley. Maybe Shirley. Surely not. But no, if there was a crazy but true fact about you, what would you say it was? Oh, gosh. Well, when I was yeah, 16, 17-ish, I performed uh, in Swan Lake at the city, Sheffield City Hall again with the Northern Ballet, and it starred Rudolf Nureyev. So I suppose that's my claim to fame, crazy fact, call it what you will. Amazing. So you danced on stage with Nureyev in Swan Lake. I really? appeared. I didn't necessarily dance because it just arrived. Okay. Appeared on stage. You appeared on stage. Then he turned up. Don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so name something or someone who inspires you in life. Well, I, I suppose thinking about it, I've got many reasons, many things, but I love it when you're watching these programs about people that have done something to help a friend, help a charity, help an organizer, help, uh, help something. And I suppose I'm one of them people who sits back and go, oh, do you know what? I should do that. Or, and I never do. And that's shame on me, really, because I always think I'd off my hat to those people because they get up off the backsides and they make it happen. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And um, would you describe yourself as an extrovert or an introvert? I would say that in reality, I'm an introvert that acts as an extrovert. And I think most extroverts are like that. They become extrovert to hide their inner, you know, anxiety, if you like. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I've done many things on stage, as you said at the beginning, big things on stage, uh, you know, uh, at the city hall and 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 last year and and uh, at the arena and stuff but I, it, sometimes if i were walking on that stage and somebody said to me you, you don't have to go on you know i'd go okay and i'd walk off because i'm that nervous before i walk up but then when i walk on it's like boom something clicks and i'm in gear and my my mindset is just about what's going on in production brilliant okay so it's time to play the next quick fire quiz round It's decision time. Okay, so in this round, there are 15 questions to answer. You have to answer A or B. No thinking, no hesitation. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. Chocolate or cheese? Chocolate. Cheesecake or Victoria sponge? Victoria sponge. Ice cream or custard? Custard. Custard cream or bourbon? Bourbon. Wine or beer? Wine. Sunbathing or walking in the snow? Walking in the snow. Seaside or countryside? Countryside. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Giving or receiving gifts? Giving. Red or blue? Blue. Savoury or sweet? Savoury. Tea or coffee? 
15. Sunday lunch or Friday night takeaway? Oh, Friday night takeaway. Pepsi or Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola. That's the end of that round. Who is the clue? Who is the clue? It's time for guess the actor or actress. So in this round, there are three actors or actresses to guess. And I'm going to give you three clues for each. You have to tell me who it is. So the first one is, he appeared in the original cast recording of Les Miserables. He currently has his own radio show and has played Edna Turnblad in Hairspray. Michael Ball. Okay, well done. This person replaced Judy Dench in the original cast of Cats after Judy broke her leg in rehearsals. She went on to star in a whole host of shows including Jesus Christ Superstar, Anything Goes, Grease and Sunset Boulevard. She also released I Know Him So Well from Chess with her co-star Barbara Dixon. Elaine Page. Yep. Okay, and your final one. She sang the title song in Beauty and the Beast. She played the lead in a TV crime detective show and has performed in Gypsy, A Little Night Music, and has also had a cameo role in Mary Poppins Returns. I've got him. I've got him. I'll give you an extra clue. The crime detective show was called Murder, She Wrote. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah, yeah. What do we call yeah. it? Like American, yeah. Yeah, Murder, She Wrote, woman. God, <laughs> what's her name? Ah! And run out of time! Bedrock, bed knobs and broomsticks and all. What's her what? name? You've run out of time. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. You yourself when I tell you. Angela Lansbury. Oh, blooming heck, of course it was. Ah! Okay, Richard, I want to move on to talk about hands-on productions and promotions. Do you want to tell our um, listeners and watchers what hands-on productions and promotions is? Yeah. Again, when we started doing pantomimes, we used other people's scripts, but we spent a lot of time adapting those strips, scripts to how we wanted them. And it got to a point where we were putting that much time into adapting scripts to how we wanted them. We just thought, well, why not? So write his own. So that's how it started. Um, so we just had to go writing a script. We wrote a script that seemed to be quite successful. And then we wrote the next and the next and the next. And we're on about as eight now or something like that. So that was the script element of it. So when you're saying we, you're talking about yourself and Linda. And Linda, yes. Yeah, sorry, massively Linda. Linda, I sort of come up with the conceptual ideas of, of this, how the script's going to run the scenes, how things are going to work within the show, any speciality um characters and all that sort of stuff and then linda goes off she's brilliant at putting uh dialogue in and stuff like that and then we read it together and we'll tweak it and 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 just try and make it better and better and better and we've learned over the years that and it suits our format uh perfectly well uh and uh, so that's how it started in terms of script the script element of it and then the we do an equ equipment hire we've got a lot of um professional level uh, lighting and sound equipment and that came about by when I started directing as I said to one of your early questions I ain't got a clue I ain't got a clue I never I've never even thought about DMX's 
lying death, sound death. And I'm a bit of a beard like that. So I just bought a few bits of kit and taught myself how to do it. And it just went into a, where I just bought more and more and more. And then I started experimenting and bought a few more. And then I bought some pyrotechnic equipment and bought some special effects equipment. Now I've got big snow equipment. So anybody out of you out there wants big snow machines, lighting, sound, hands on productions. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook, Hands On Productions and Promotions, but you can also find us on the Tinter web, which is www.hopap.co.uk. All links will be posted on social media, so they'll be posted on Facebook and YouTube. So Richard, moving on, uh, so we've talked about your company, um, we're going to talk sort of advice. If there was one thing you could tell your younger self, looking back, what would it be and why? Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, always follow your heart. Um, but it's got to be mixed in with a bit of savvy because you can soon lose your shirt in this game and lose your reputation if you pick the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Um, but just be bold and brave and learn more early i wish i'd learned more taught myself more when i was younger and I, I was more receptive to it so that's the advice i give because it's a welfare it's a, it's the the theatrical world is just gagging for like new ideas and new yeah. concepts go find them moving on from that do you have any regrets not really um do you have any regrets no you know, if I'd have gone round to various societies, perhaps I could have got and done other things, but then I wouldn't have met the people that I've met. I wouldn't have done the things in manner that I've done. I wouldn't have got to where I am. So now I don't look back and think I've had a rubbish. I've done some brilliant things and, you know, I'm continuing to do so. I've got one of the best societies in Sheffield, you know, at my fingertips. And that just enables me yeah. to be creative with a group of fantastic people. Brilliant. Okay, I want to sort of delve back onto your time as a performer because we've we've not really touched on that at all. I want to ask you, have you ever had any embarrassing moments on stage? No. Has anything ever gone wrong? <laughs> yeah, of course it has. Yeah, loads of things go wrong. I mean, you know, I've been left high and dry on stage when you sat there waiting and somebody's supposed to make an entrance and, you know, you can hear them on a mic and they're still in dressing rooms talking about something else and you just know they're not coming and you've got 2,000 people sat waiting for you and you've just got to <laughs> work yourself out. out of it. You see, at Manor, we've never had prompts. We've never had prompts. We've never had people to get you out of the, the do if you get in it. Yeah. So I suppose from an early age, I've sort of learned, you know, you if you're in a hole, you've got to get a shovel and you've got to start, you know, trying to fill it in or trying to do something. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it happens all the time in here. That's the beauty of theatre. People are saying to you, what's the beauty of theatre? You know, even though cast, even in West End productions, learn musicals and they are sort of word perfect pretty much most nights. The productions are slightly different. The companies, the the, the the audience is slightly different. The show's slightly different. It all, it's a unique experience just for that one time. That is, that's what live theatre is. It's unique yeah. for that one time. 
Absolutely. Um, so moving on from that question, another question. Have you ever injured yourself on stage? Oh, God, hi. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've once in a sack been dragged, you know, uh, in a, yeah, been dragged on uh, in a pantomime. And I went over this bump and I just felt this thing going to the elbow. And it, and it really, I, I mean, it really hurt. And sort of like the only second I was supposed to spring out, which I obviously duly did, because you've got thousands of people looking at you. And I'm like performing and doing my stuff as though nothing had happened. All the time, it feels like I've got a piece of wood stuck on my arm. I thought I'd got a bloody plank of wood stuck on my elbow. And I thought, I can't look down because I'm going to give the game away. So I just kept on going and blah, 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 blah. It was a right long scene as well. And anyway, when I got off, I like walks off like this and to the stage manager at time, Paul Minot went, Paul, Paul, he went dark. I said, I think I've got something in my arm. Can you have a look? And he, he like got his torch and he looked at it and I went, he went, oh, God, oh, you've got bloody hell, you've got a piece of wood in your arm. I went, well, can you just pull it out? He went, mate, it's bloody massive. You can't just pull that out. Anyway, so I goes back to the dressing room and I'm not kidding. It was like, it was like a cocktail stick length. Yeah. And twice the thickness. I saved it for years and it went right in my bloody arm. And honest to God, if I was like walking around like that, but show must go on, you know. Can you think of any other embarrassing moments or things that have gone wrong on stage? Yeah, I mean, live theatre, that's the beauty of live theatre. Things go wrong. It is live. What you see is what you get. But, you know, I can think of one standout moment where we did a show called Little Abner and we did it at the last Lyceum. So it was a big deal for Manor and for us as, as performers. And um, I was playing Little Abner and a guy called Malcolm Disbro was playing one of the lead parts and he was fantastic, by the way. He fell asleep and he didn't turn up for one at matinees and he just didn't come. So like we're all sat in his dressing room waiting and like Malcolm, we're in my dressing room and I'm thinking, bloody hell, Malcolm's not here. So eventually we get a call, like, Malcolm's not coming. So, I mean, Brian, who I can't praise enough and speak highly enough, um, he sat at the side of the stage with a script and a microphone that went to the dressing rooms and he rewrote the script and wrote this one person out of the script as it was performing. So... Wow. What we had to do, I mean, I was the title row. Linda was playing Daisy May, that was my partner. So we had we had massive roles within the show. I mean, we pretty much didn't go back to the dressing room. Luckily, there weren't many costume changes though. Um, and we literally had to come off stage. You went to to his desk. It when he'd re rewritten next scene, and he'd say, right, instead of saying that, you say this, you do that, you do this, go on. So you then had to go on and deliver that, come off, and we had to. That's that's honest to God. And the audience never knew. I never knew. And and whilst, you know, you know, it was a great big feather for us. The 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 accolade of I've never seen anything like it. Brian was sublime. He was sublime in many ways, but I have never seen anybody do anything like that. I mean, it was rewriting a script, and it's a huge character rewriting him out of that script as it's happening. And you going on performing, all we've got to do is you just go on and say that. That's what we did. Just, I just want to talk about a similar experience that you've had as a director. So you didn't have to rewrite anything, but you had to restage 
um, Beauty and the Beast back in 2013. Do you want to just sort of explain what happened? And yeah, we got we got the part of Gaston was being played by a guy called Gary, um, and it, during uh, the dress rehearsal, he gets pushed off the ramparts of the castle, uh, and he fell. And we got a crash man, everything ready for him, but he dislocated his shoulder blade and he had to be rushed to hospital. And this is on dress rehearsal. So we're like thinking, flipping out. So we've got Howard, who's uh, the treasurer, was taking him to the hospital. We're in the theatre. We were there till four o'clock. Yeah. We've got other members of cast in the pit. Uh, and Andy, our musical director, deciding how we were going to do it because we didn't know whether they'd keep him in, just let him go, whether he'd be available to voice over it, whether he'd be able to do it. We had no idea. Um, so we were looking at all sorts of um, ways that we could overcome this problem. And I went home, didn't sleep, we're waiting. I think it was about four or five o'clock when, you know, got word of the fact that, you know, it could... You, you, well, we didn't know what he could do basically, and we were waiting till next morning. So I woke up, uh, I rang my boss at work, and I said, Do you mind me having a day off? Went down to the theatre. I was going to learn part, I got other people down there learning part, it wherever whoever could learn it best. Um, fortunately, the outcome was Gary could visit the theatre, so he couldn't go on. So he sat in the pit and voiceovered the lines and the uh, the songs, and we had a guy called Josh, thank you Josh, we'll never forget you for that, who Linda just, he was in the show anyway, but he was in the chorus, so he knew the comings and goings of the show, but obviously, you know, he had to learn what to do, and Linda just went outside at stage and pushed him and pulled him, and again, a similar sort of scenario, we didn't have to rewrite it, but it was very challenging and not something I'd wish to repeat on a regular basis. No, absolutely. I've never felt a rush of emotion after a show finishing than I did at the end of that. Um, well, you were his counterpart as well, so yeah. you had a massive part to play in it. And Yeah. And, it, you know, all we can do is sort of put a plan in place and hope that, you know, you execute it. You guys did. You did it perfectly. And, and he just was... A demonstration about how important and how hard-working amateur theatre is because in, in, in a professional production, you've got a stand-in who will just come in and do it. It's No worries about it. Fair enough, they're off. But you don't always have that in amateur theatre. And I think it's testament to, to how we operate as a team that we, you know, we worked hard and we've, well, I'm saying we, yourselves found a solution and got through it. Did As a performer, did you ever have a pre-show ritual? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty, what's the word? Superstitious, yeah. And, 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 and I, I like things to be laid out the same. I like to mark my script out the same, um, you know. So it, it's more about the arrangement of where my costumes are and how me, you know, my dressing room is set up. Uh, that's sort of my ritual. Um, you know, I don't sort of hop around dressing room or stand on me. I don't do yoga for 10 minutes or like that. I just, it's just how things are set out. It has to be laid out, you know, as I am used to seeing it. Yeah. So if I put you on the spot now, Richard, I want you to have a think and tell me 
There's one part you've played throughout your time as a performer. Can you tell me which is your favourite? Which one stands out as going, wow, yeah, I played that part? Oh, I suppose Bill Snibson in uh, Me and My Girl, I think. There's been lots of standout moments and I've enjoyed them all for various reasons, but that was particularly enjoyable. It was something that Brian, the producer at that time, had wanted for a long time. We finally got it. I got the the, the, the honour of playing the part. So, yeah, that was a special moment. And, and and it was well received as well. Oh, and I played Pippin that was reviewed very well. Yeah. Okay. And so flip the question. As a director, is the one production that you've directed and, well, co-directed and produced that you would say is your standout show? Yeah, they're all memorable, otherwise you wouldn't do them. I mean, when we just done Our House, which was absolutely wonderful, I have to say. I'm not, I'm not trying to be big editor or anything. I mean, you know, we did it, you know, we love it, and, and it was great. But I think a show that stands out for numerous levels, uh, for numerous reasons, should I say, is Ghost. Um, because as you know, Chris, I mean, I got the rights to do it and I were having second thoughts because it's it's one of my favourite musicals ever. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a, a technically uh, challenging musical. And you can do it, I suppose you could do it very simply, but we wanted to get it as near to the West End production as we possibly could to do it justice. And uh, I have to say we did it and we... Worked all the way through the night, putting all screens up, which I designed. I just designed all the backing to go on it. I employed somebody to come and work all that for us, and they did a lot of the uh, computer animated uh, graphics. But yeah, it was pretty groundbreaking, was that? And anybody who saw it, I think, will, will, will think, yeah, that was a. Yeah, fun. it was described as a production that raised the bar for amateur theatre. And I think, yeah. how does that feel hearing that when you know how many hours of and, well, days and weeks of sleepless nights and, and all that work in rehearsals, pushing your cast sort of um, out of their comfort zones, really. How does that feel when you hear um, feedback like that? Uh, it, it's wonderful. But I, it's, I mean, I've never been one for, 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 for looking for feedback from people. If you get it, it's great. Um, but, you know, I... I was so proud of the cast because it was so challenging, that musical. I mean, the technical rehearsals for it were just... Well, you know you were in it. it yeah. So challenging. The the cues for lighting, sound, special effects because of the ghost element of it, the walking through doors. I mean, we did it all. You know, all the technical elements that were involved in that, where it, it, you, you couldn't get it wrong. Uh, so I was more proud of the company than, I suppose, myself or Linda. We, the, the company pulled off a wonderful production. And, and that's when you say we stand at the back crying. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you've been through all the flipping pulling air out moments, it's not that I've got a lot to pull out anymore. And it works. And you see the audience and they've got a, they're aghast looking, thinking, wow, that was so cool. Where did that come from? How did that happen? You know, that that for me is is testament to the show and the production and the performance in itself. And nothing more has to be said for me. It, it wasn't just um, electronic screens and stuff. There was sort of automated pieces of set. We had we had 
cabinets that were lifting actors up out of the air. We had people going through doors and everything like that. So to, to do that without sort of being given any sort of prior knowledge as to how to go about doing that, it, you've got to have someone that's got a creative mind. And I think with yourself and, and Linda working together, I think it was only ever going to be a success because you're, you're a dynamic duo together because you, you want to push it further. You want to push it as far as it can go. And you're not people that say, well, that's difficult. We can't do that. You, you're people that go, well, we'll find a way to do that and we'll make it work for us. And I think if anybody watched that production, you would just say, wow. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that as somebody that performed in it and I have very special memories of that show, but to pull up, pull it off in the manner that we, we did, but also it's not just ghost. I think if we look at Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which we did in 2018, you know, you were given very short notice about the production and there wasn't a set in place. There wasn't a car that could fly and, um, you know, to constantly live, um, sort of pushing the boundaries and have them sleepless nights. I think it takes a special kind of person. And I think yourself and Linda should take take great pride in that for the amount of work that you do. And I think sometimes directors and producers aren't recognised enough. So I think you should take pride in that. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. I think we've come to the end of our interview. Hey! <laughs> so I just want to uh, quickly say this was Richard Bradford um, Richard is a performer, director and producer um, who runs his own theatrical company he's from Sheffield, he's 52 um, and he is also a TA by full time job Richard have you enjoyed it? Yeah it's been a blast mate, I've enjoyed it I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on and being my first guest this has been It's Showtime, the brand new theatre podcast. We've come to the end of our show. Next week, we have a St. Ives-based performer who is a chairman of trustees for a youth theatre charity. His name is Mr. Phil Barnett, and he will be joining us next week. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week for more It's Showtime. Good luck with the rest of them, Chris. Thank you. Bye, everyone.